Hey, good morning, Cap City. Let's stand up and worship the Lord. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you feel the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you feel the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. Come rest on us. 
Father, we know that you're here. You made a promise that you would be when we gather in your name. So as a church, we come before you today with our hearts laid open. We ask you to do something with each of us as we give you this whole life, this whole church. It's all yours. Amen.
find joy today? Are you here for peace? Are you here for hope? I hope so. Guys, why don't you have a seat for a second? I want to say this against my better judgment. Uh, I've been, you know, sometimes, you know, I really want to create a little bit of a different atmosphere. We have singers and we got instrumentalists and all these other things that will come up and lead worship. There are some people in this room that have been clamoring for weeks to get up on this stage to lead you in a certain way. And they're, right now they're sitting here very excited about it. So will you welcome uh, some friends of mine who are going to come on this stage and tell you about what they believe in? So come on up here, guys. Let's go ahead. Well, good morning, people. My name is Shakur. My name is Greg. Uh, my name is John L. And we believe the church is a house of joy. We believe the, uh, the church is rest for the worry. We believe the church is doubters, where doubters find faith. We believe the church needs to seek the lost. Yeah. We, hope to, uh, we hope to those who have given up, yes. and we hope to comfort the brokenhearted. Yes. We believe we have one purpose, one mission, one passion, one calling. We believe the, the church, this church, the Calvary City Church, is part of God's plan to win the world. Do you believe? Say, I believe it. I believe. I believe it. I believe. I believe it. I believe it. may not know that I'm a cellist. Did you know that? It means I play the cello, which is kind of like a violin on steroids. My dad was a music teacher, and so all of us kids were required to start the piano in the fourth grade. Then we had to choose a string instrument in the fifth grade. Guitar didn't count, right? Took, I chose the cello, took private lessons for a number of years, making sure it's in tune. Most days I was required to practice 30, 60 minutes before I could go outside and play, which I thought was child abuse, right? <laughs> California, we had full orchestras in our schools, so I always played for the orchestra and for some honors orchestras. And when my dad's groups were having a, uh, some kind of a concert, he used to make me play with their orchestras. Played in trios for church and quartets and quintets through college and in fact, I had a director in college, Dennis Helzebeck, who used to yell at me. He said, Patterson, if you had a heart, you could play that thing, right? <laughs> and there's a difference. I could play technically, but I didn't have a heart. So it was kind of amazing. During seminar, I played for a while in the Gen City Symphony, which sounds impressive, but we were really bad. And I sat at the very back of the symphony. I'd play occasionally when I was at the college, you know, a little bit once or twice a year. And then when I came to Capital City a couple of times a year, if it was convenient, right? And if the music was easy, and if I didn't have to practice, those were my parameters. So I'm a cellist, right? Think so? I haven't touched this thing in 10 years. But all I do now with a cello is to go listen to Yo-Yo Ma whenever he's close by and get a tear or two in my eye when I listen to what a cello is supposed to sound like. It's pretty amazing. So am I a cellist? Really? Is it more honest to say that I dabbled with cello once? 
Would it be fair to say that basically I play cello kind of like a lot of Jesus followers play church? What do you think? Expected me to play, didn't you? My gift to you is that I didn't. <laughs> now, because I'm a little bit older, I have several of these used to's, right? Do you? I used to be a bit of an athlete quite a few pounds ago. Football, basketball, baseball, tennis, soccer, racquetball, handball, golf. I rarely play anymore, and when I do play with my grandkids, I cheat, right? Used to be a soccer coach. Coached at the college for about nine years, but now unless my grandkids are playing, I don't follow soccer anymore. Used to be a college prof. In fact, I still think of myself as one, even though I haven't been in a classroom for 10 years, and it's been about 30 years since I did it professionally. Do you have any used to's? Used to's? My wife, Julie, used to be an organist. Andy used to be a military policeman, my son. My daughter, Alethea, used to be an English teacher in high school. Sometimes we still tinker. I mean, I could play a song or two if I was forced. Still play catch, shoot some hoops, swing a club occasionally. But I am not nearly as serious about these things as I used to be. Kind of like a, Jesus, a lot of Jesus followers in church, Right? Now, if you're in the room or you're watching on our live stream, you're dabbling at least. But it is possible that there was a time when you were way more invested in church than you are right now. I know for some of you guys, it's still a centerpiece of your life. That is so cool. Centerpiece of your life with God. For some of you guys, it's a piece, kind of a piece of your life, your life with God. It still matters. For some of you guys, it's a bit of a stretch to call it a, actually a piece of your life with God. You just kind of dabble, but actually you keep the church at arm's length, right? And a whole lot of Jesus followers have joined the ranks of the de-churched. They're no longer part of it. Where do you fit? Of course, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, if you have been unchurched, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll find a home here or at some other God-honoring church because God didn't make you to go it alone. But some of us Jesus followers, if you were like me, we were forced to go to church as kids. Maybe some of you guys didn't really want to, but over time you kind of bought into the big ideas so that even after you graduated high school and left home, still part of who you are, not really a centerpiece, other Jesus followers, we, there was a time when we were absolutely passionate, right? About our faith, about God, about church, we were all in. But for some reason, there's been kind of a slow fade. You okay with that? If that's where you are? What role do you think should church play in your life? What role do you think God wants church to play in your life? Does that matter to you? Now, I do have some regrets about not taking the cello more seriously. I played a lot, but I think I could play with heart now, now that I've lost my touch. How sad is that? But the church, 
If the church is not the centerpiece of your life right now, do you have regrets? Will you have regrets eventually, do you think? Guys, I'm going to cover a boatload of stuff this morning, and I'm going to go fast because this whole series is about the basics, about the fundamentals, the things that every single Jesus follower needs to understand and do. Some of this stuff, some of you guys will have heard before. That's okay. Others haven't. All of this stuff is important. So hang on. Here it goes. About 1,800 years ago, a guy by the name of Cyprian was a bishop in Carthage, a city in northern Africa. Smart guy. Cyprian said one time, no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. You buy that? Is he serious? I was at a Promise Keepers rally in Indianapolis, I don't know, 20 some odd years ago, when I heard an old black preacher say it like this. He said, if the church ain't your mama, God ain't your daddy. That's about as eloquent as I've ever heard it put. You buy it? Now, guys, our churches in America have been going through some pretty hard times, right? Not as hard as churches in other parts of our world, not even close. But for us Jesus followers, it's been a rocky few years. According to Mark Driscoll, COVID, the shutdowns and all of those things, 15% of our churches are dead or dying right now. About 40% of our churches are on life support. They could go either way. About 40% of our churches are surviving, and only 5% of our churches are actually thriving. Think he's right? Where do you think Cap City fits? And it's been such a hard couple of years that about 38%, almost 4 in 10 of our pastors have considered leaving the ministry. And I get it. As a pastor, the past couple of years have been incredibly discouraging. But you know what's worse than that? What these shutdowns did to the hearts and the minds of Jesus followers. You kept hearing, we kept hearing that churches are non-essential, right? And a lot of people bought it. Do you? You kept hearing that online church was an acceptable alternative to in-person church. And a lot of people bought it. Do you? It's more convenient, less time-consuming, less demanding, safer physically, we were told. And we kept hearing that a person could have a perfectly healthy relationship with God without church. And people got it. After all, you can read your Bible at home, you can pray at home, you can listen to a podcast when you're on the treadmill, you can listen to K-Love when you're out and around What's worse is that so many churches reinforce these ideas by shutting down their services so quickly and so easily as if they weren't all that important because it was more important, we were told, to keep our people safe physically, right? Maybe not. In reality, guys, COVID simply accelerated the cultural trends that have been in place for the past 20, 30 years. Church has been struggling. And if you're looking for an excuse to dischurch, it's easy to find one. In fact, I'll give you a couple. Ready? God's good, right? I mean, God is holy. God is gracious. Most people kind of like God most of the time. But the church? 
Churches are not very holy. They're not very righteous. They're not very gracious. They're not very good. They're never perfect. There is a boatload to criticize about any church. You know why? Because churches are full of all these sinners. They really are. And I'm not talking about those real weirdos and narcissists and con men that always make the news, and there are boatloads of those. I'm talking about run-of-the-mill sinners, people who know what's good and don't do it, people who say the wrong things, do the wrong things sometimes, people like you, people like me, who step on each other's toes routinely because it's not always easy to be close to people in a family, right, when you're a sinner, surrounded by sinners. And this one's a little mean. I think a lot of people figure that God is not demand, as demanding as a church is, right? Without a church meddling in your life, you can worship God how you want, when you want, where you want. Churches make you feel kind of guilty. They're kind of controlling. They expect you to give up time for worship, for study. They expect you to give up money. They expect you to volunteer for stuff that you don't particularly enjoy. It's a whole lot less trouble to try to hang on to God without church getting in the way, we think. And sometimes church just gets in the way of life, it seems. I mean, there's so much to do, so little time. Life gets so busy, so complex. There are times you just need some me time, right? And what better time for me time than a Sunday morning? Perfect. And things come up. I mean, things like schools, sports, other groups used to leave Sundays alone, but not anymore, and you don't want your kids to get left behind, do you? So, there are a boatload of reasons to minimize or marginalize or to flat out blow off church if you want. And yet, and yet, for some crazy reason, church is both God's idea and God's command. Do you understand that? The church was God's idea, not ours. I'll show you. The church was God's command that it'd be a serious part of our life. I'll show you. Right before Jesus headed to the cross, to Jerusalem, he took his disciples aside, and it's kind of like he pulled down his mask so they could really reflect on who he really was. So Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some people think you're like John the Baptist, maybe come back from the dead, or maybe you're like one of the Old Testament prophets, come back from the dead. And then Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? You guys have been with me for about three years. You've watched me. You've listened to me. Who do you think I am, really? Who do you think? And Peter said, well, I think you're the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. I think you're the son of the big G God. And Peter said, or Jesus said, you got it. And on this rock, on this foundation, I will build my church, Jesus says. I will build my church. And the powers of hell can't defeat it. So whose church is it? And who built it? Church is not invented by Jesus' followers. It was invented by Jesus. It was invented by God. Now in that verse, the word for church in the Greek is a word called ecclesia. And a lot of people have been messed up a little bit by that word. The word in Greek is a compound word, which means you basically take two words and jam them together, right? It's made out of the word ek, which kind of means out, and klesia, which means called. And so most people think it means something like called out, 
means called out. That's simply adding the two words together. But compound words don't always work that way. If they did, butterfly would mean butter that flies, right? If you look ecclesia up in a dictionary of ancient Greek, you'll discover it means something more like this, those who are called together, called together, those who assemble, those who are gathered, the congregation, people who congregate together. It's not just a calling out, it's a calling together. We are called out by God and called together by God. Specifically, it's a calling together of those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord. He's the head of the church. He's the boss here. So churches are really, really big deal to God. So the writer of Hebrews put it like this. He says, don't neglect meeting together as some people do. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his, his return is drawing near. Don't blow off assembling. Don't marginalize the togethering. Don't diss the congregating, God says, as some people do. Now it's pretty clear that the church is not about the building, is it? The called out ones, the called together ones, the assembly, the congregation. The church is about the people. Bottom line, guys, the church is not a building that you go to. It's something that you are together, bound together. See, I've been using the phrase for a long time here at Capital City, doing life with God, for God, God's way. And my daughter suggested that I add one word, together. She was right. That's what the church is. Those doing life with God, for God, God's way, together. That's the church. Because, guys, when you accept Jesus as Lord, the Father plants you in his family. He makes you part of the church. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, our covenant with God, the church is several times referred to as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Those who are called out, those who are called together perform the bride of Christ, kind of. But it seems like a whole lot of people want a relationship with Jesus while rejecting the bride. They want to fling with Jesus. They want an affair with Jesus, but they don't want to be committed to Jesus as a bride would be. Doesn't work that way, guys. If the church ain't your mama, God ain't your daddy, right? And in the New Testament, the church is frequently called the body of Christ, the body of Christ. He's the head, the church is the body. You're part of the body of Christ, it says. And yet a whole lot of people want to be part of Jesus, but they don't want to be part of the body, which is kind of like saying that I want to be a finger, but I don't want to be attached to a hand. I want a toe, but I don't want to be attached to a foot. A body part detached from the body is kind of grotesque, isn't it? And in the new covenant, our covenant with God, it's church is called the family of God. When you accept God as Father, it's kind of like he adopts you into his family. You gain brothers and sisters. You become one of the kids, which would mean that if you're a Jesus follower without a church family, you're an orphan. How tragic is that? God wants you connected. See, if you're a Jesus follower, God already planted you in the church. And I understand that's kind of weird, and, and I'm not sure I want to be connected to some of you guys. 
You're weird. In fact, the church is by definition a weird collection of messed up people, isn't it? The fact that God would choose to use a group of people as messed up as we are to woo and to heal other broken and messed up people. What a weirdly magnificent thing we are. Messed up people gathered together for the purpose of reveling in and broadcasting the amazing grace of our God. How cool is that? And I know that some people, a whole lot of people, they don't think you have to actually gather physically to be part of the church. You can come together online, right? You can assemble on Facebook or through watching a, a live stream or connecting through Zoom, right? Isn't that the way a whole lot of people congregate today? And there are serious Jesus followers trying to make that work, and sometimes they might be right. Oftentimes they're not. Guys, I know it's not about the building, but I think there's something incredibly important to us human beings about gathering physically. God did not make us talking heads. How many of you guys have used one of those dating apps? Okay, now you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want. By the way, if you're married and you're using a dating app, you need to be beaten, right? <laughs> but a whole lot of singles today do a lot of their scouting online. And I think that could be cool. But at some point, I hope you go beyond a talking head on a screen to actually a physical presence. How many of you old guys had to do some grandparenting online over the past couple of years? I mean, Facebook is better than nothing, but Facebook will never replace a hug, will it? Because, guys, we are not just spiritual creatures. God gave us these bodies. He made us physical creatures, and we need presence. We need physical touch. We need more connection than a phone or a screen or a, an iPad can provide, don't we? Now, I know that a church can do some solid ministry online, and that's important, but there's a difference between ministry and church. Here at Cap City, we have to have a solid presence online, and we're working on it hard, but we want our online presence to serve as a front door and a workshop, not as a replacement, unless you just can't be here. And there are times, for those who are on the road, online church helps you to stay connected. How cool is that? For those who are shut in either for a short time or permanently, it's the best they can do. And how cool is that? For those who are looking for a church, it's a way to scout around. That's cool. For those who are wanting to dig deeper, it's a way to supplement in-person church. How cool is that? But if you can, you need more than a live stream or a metaverse church. You were created by God. You were meant by God to do life shoulder to shoulder with God's people. You know, want to know why? Guys, sometimes when we worship together, always when we worship together, God is in the room. Sometimes it's so powerful that it's almost palpable. Do you get that? I know that God is everywhere. There's nowhere that God is not. He's in every room. And if you're a Jesus follower or wherever you are, he's not only around you, he's inside you. That's what the Bible teaches. And yet, despite that, here's what Jesus says. He says, where two or three gather as my followers, I'm there among them. 
He's here. There's something different about God's presence when we gather together as Jesus followers. Something special happens when Jesus followers assemble. Sometimes his presence becomes almost palpable. Have you ever felt it? I have. Guys, you need that sense of his presence. It puts everything in your life back into perspective. See, guys, we need to be intentional about putting ourselves in a place where everything that is happening is designed to help us be receptive to God's presence and God's nudges. That's why the Bible says, guys, don't give up that habit. Don't give up the habit. Make it a habit of meeting together. Don't give that up as some people are doing. Instead, encourage one another all the more. Make it a habit, God says. You see, from the very, very beginning, God inserted weekly worship into the rhythm of a well-lived life. Both in the old covenant with God and in the new covenant with God, the people of God were instructed to assemble, to gather, to congregate weekly for corporate worship. Every single week in the Old Testament, it was the Sabbath, right? In the New Testament, it's the Lord's Day, Sunday. And not just occasionally, not just when it's convenient, but as part of the rhythm of a healthy life with God. Because, guys, it's too easy to lose our focus on God. It's too easy to get distracted by the busyness of life, by our jobs, by our families, by our hobbies. Gathering to worship weekly helps us to stay centered, to stay focused on God. It helps to break the insidious grip of self, which always disrupts our life with God. It'll mess you up. But guys, church is about more than just worship, isn't it? Here at Cap City, we talk about way more than just worshiping together. We talk about connecting and growing and serving together because doing that stuff alone doesn't cut it. Bottom line alone, I think we're all pretty wussy. We're all pretty weak. Together, we're a whole lot smarter. We're a whole lot bolder, a whole lot stronger. We're a whole lot gooder together. That's a word now, right? It's almost like we kind of drag each other to heaven. How cool is that? I'm going to show you another Greek word this morning. Some of you guys have seen it before. It's the word alelon. Alelon. Kind of sounds like all alone, doesn't it? It actually means the opposite. It actually means one another. Alelon is used 59 times in the New Testament. Actually about 100, but 59 of those times in the New Testament... It's in commands about how to do life together as the people of God. Doing life with God, for God, God's way, together. It's about the together part. It goes way beyond Sunday morning worship. You can't be the church if it's only about Sunday mornings. Here are just a few of those one another verses. Listen to them. We're told to love one another. In fact, we're told to love one another 13 times, 16 times. I just missed that. 16 times, love one another, love one another, love one another. If you master that one, you don't really need the rest. But here's some more. Be devoted to one another, it says. Build one another up. Accept one another. Teach one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be tolerant of one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Warn one another. Pray for one another. And that's just a sampling. I could make the list considerably longer. 
But you get the idea. Guys, you can't do this stuff. God commands, if for you, church is about an hour a week. Won't cut it. We're supposed to be in this thing together. And I know that we are a bunch of messed up misfits. But we are stronger together, more effective together. It's more fun together. We need each other. Guys, our God has given us a huge job to do. Right before Jesus went back to the Father, he gave us some marching orders. He says, I want you to go to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. That's our job, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he promised, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Individually, it'd be really, really hard to get that done, wouldn't it? We have this goal together, this plan to give those in our community this year 12,000 nudges towards Jesus. Thousand nudges every month from this church family. That could make a difference, couldn't it? How cool is that? We just pulled off a trunk or treat together that served a thousand of our neighbors in the name of Jesus. None of us could have done that alone. We just pulled off a Jesus prom where we pulled our resources to throw this big Jesus party for those with disabilities in our community. None of us could have done that alone. We take care of so many people together. We, t we support missionaries together. Do you have any idea how much more effective we are when we tackle our mission together? Some of you guys don't feel like you're equipped to evangelize, but you can always invite someone to the gathering. It's easy. We're in this thing together. And the very fact that your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues will see you keeping church at the center of your life will be a powerful testimony for Jesus. In fact, guys, the most powerful influence for Jesus that you, that you will have on your kids and your friends, your colleagues, will be your faithfulness to God and His church as you show them if the church ain't your mama, God ain't your daddy. Just one more. One more little piece, one more reason to keep God's church at the centerpiece of your life. Here it is. God commands it. Not capriciously. He tells you to do that because He loves you and He wants the very best life possible for you. Jesus modeled it. The church has modeled it for two millennia and God commanded it. And God is kind of like God, Right? You weren't made to go it alone. So even when you don't feel like it, even when you're painfully aware of our flaws, for your sake, for their sake, and for God's sake, let's be the church together. Let's be the church together. Now, guys, if you are not a Jesus follower yet, this is for you too. It really is. Keep coming, please. Try worshiping God with us. Try connecting with us, serving with us. Give it a try. You're going to like it, I think. If you're one of those lurkers, you know, people who are here but not fully, you're watching but you're not seriously engaging. Hmm. Guys, if not Cap City, you need to find some God-honoring church and you need to make it home 
because God did not make you to go it alone. If you're one of those guys who comes just enough to say that this is your church, this is your church family, maybe once a month, once a quarter, maybe a couple, three times a, a month, guys, you need to make it part of the rhythm of your life. Every week, we Jesus followers gather to worship because we want to keep God in his rightful place. And you need that too. And if the church is just an hour a week for you, if this is all it is, it's time for you to start connecting, growing, and serving together because right now you're settling. You're settling for way less than what God wants for you. What have you got to do? with this stuff. What's your next step? Guys, I'm going to pray and then our team is going to lead us in a powerful song about that day when we're all going to bow before him. Difference is for Jesus followers, we start that now. We bow before him. Let's pray together. Father, your word is challenging. You are challenging, but not because you're just mean-spirited. You just want the best for us. And as the creator, you know how to make that happen. Give us the wisdom, give us the courage to follow you, to understand that life will be better, that we'll be stronger, that this church will be stronger the more we invest in your will. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Stand and sing. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gold and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity and there will be a day before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with you died and rose again holy holy is love
with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and on that day this will join the resurrection Say it again. Holy is the Lord. If we know that the Lord is holy and set apart and different from everything else in the world, that means that we can follow Jesus Christ in a way that the world hasn't seen. When we follow Jesus Christ and his example, they look at us and they say, what is so different about you? And we give hope. We can give peace to people who are in need. And that's what I'd like to do. Guys, we turn on the lights a little bit brighter than we typically do because I want you to look around at the rest of your church family, right? Some of you are right, you're new to this, and some of you have been doing it for a number of years. But when you look at these in these next few minutes, you're going to get a chance to go to the tables, and you're going to get a chance to be able to take communion together. This is a family meal that we take together. And I want you to be able to interact with your family. Typically, we're kind of quiet at this point, but you don't have to be today. You can talk. You can pray. Spend some time with the rest of this family. When you take the bread, you remember Jesus' body was broken for you. And when you drink the juice, you remember that his blood was also poured out for you. This place is a, it's a family, and there are people that are in need in this family. And so if you want to give an offering, there's a black box at each of the stations. And we also have something called the generous bucket. You give to people uh, that are beyond your normal offering. Give to people in need in this community. So I'd like for you to spend some time with the family. Maybe see somebody that you've not spoken to before. Say hi. Say what your name is. Maybe you want to go to somebody and say, I need some prayer. This is the time to do it. Let's go to the tables right now.
today because of a desire to give you everything in our lives, to show the world that you have done so much for us, to be a church, a family that is full of hope and joy. God, I ask that it'll be what's on our hearts and minds as we reach out to this world that is desperately in need of you. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Isn't it awesome to be a part of this family? And we can come together and worship like this. Yeah, go ahead and applaud if you want to. That's fine. It's good. It's good. My land, you know, it's, I, I can think back of uh, about five years ago, the first time I stepped in this place, and I was thinking, wow, you know, I come from a little bit smaller church, and it's kind of hard to connect sometimes. Uh, but I'm so glad that I did. So glad Gail and I decided to stay and to hang out with you folks, to hang out and become a part of your family. Because, you see, God made this all in a big plan for us, man. You know, he didn't want us to try to do all this alone. We're coming together as a family here. And this family unit, uh, yes, we come together and, and worship him. And as Doc so aptly put it, man, you know, we don't have, we're not worshiping a God that is miles and miles and miles and eons away from us. No. He says, you gather together, and I'm right there. Isn't that awesome? To know that we're worshiping him, and he's in the room with us. That is so cool. And, and, and the other part of it is about family, man. You know, and uh, sometimes I know in maybe somebody's ears when you talk about family and come together as a church body, that family, well, it's all struggle in families. Well, that's all part of being a family. That's why we're here to help one another, to support one another. And even at helping and supporting one another, if this morning that the Holy Spirit's been convicting in your heart and you, you're thinking about, man, I need to make a decision for Christ, or I want to learn more about that, please don't give up on it. Uh, please come down front. Uh, when I get ready to close this out, Doc will be here. I'll be hanging around. We want to talk to you about that as well, because that's what families do is we help one another. And also, as we continue to help one another, which brings me in to our church-wide family part, that I'll just make some quick announcements, and I'm about ready to turn you loose, okay? This month is our food drive month. And uh, next week, we ask you to bring uh, good old pasta and rice and the dry goods. And uh, the truck will be parked out by the door. If it ha doesn't happen to be there, just bring it on in the building. And if you happen to slip up and didn't do this and you have a chance to be by the office, please drop it by the office. We'll see that it gets delivered. But that is our November nudge, how we can, as a family, continue to love on people that need help. Also, I want to bring your attention to um, <laughs> our November nudges. And that November nudge is where we want to reach about 1,000 people and where we can reach 12,000 in a year. Isn't that awesome to stop and think about it? There's envelopes out on the table, and there's a card inside that envelope uh, that's telling people how much we love on them. If you want to put some money inside of that, and if you see somebody in need or if you're just kind of walking through the grocery store, Walmart, wherever, and maybe you see a mom struggling or trying to check off her list and, and making sure she can get everything she needs for her family, just walk over and hand her the card. You can say hello, you can say Jesus loves you, you can say here, uh, just want to help out. That's all you need to do. Just reach out and touch somebody with the love of Christ. Last announcement I want to bring around to you is this. Next Saturday, another family unit you can come together on is uh, we're going to have a tailgate party here at 3 o'clock for the UK-Georgia game. And we'll air it uh, in the youth center. So please come out. This is where the family gets together again. If we UK wins, we can celebrate together. <laughs> Who's laughing? <laughs> and if Georgia wins, we can cry together, okay? 
There's a family thing, all right? But we support one another and all that kind of good stuff. And I know, well, I'm not going to go that last one, what, what Doc said at the meeting. I, I won't even go there. Well, matter of fact, that brings me into this. We, uh, right after I close you out here, we are going to be having a congregational meeting. And uh, for that's all members that's here, be a, a vote on the budget and different things. There'll be a ballot that we passed out to you. And uh, I'm going to pass that over to Robert Brewer here just in a moment. But at this time, I would uh, like to let you know, members, please stay seated. And if you want to hang around, listen, see about the process, that's fine. Members, you can stay in here if you want to. The rest of you, I'm going to tell you what Doc tells you. Go away. We love you. We'll see you. Remember, hang in there for the congregational meeting. Working hard and trying to prove 